If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to take them and turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 9, this morning. I want to welcome you to Big Woods Bible Church. Also, I want to welcome the many, many that are listening and joining us right now online. I have talked with a host of pastors over the past week, met and prayed with many of them. Many pastors have told me that they need to be rewriting their messages this week, that wherever they were, they needed to make an adjustment for really an unparalleled time that we are in, an unprecedented time. And I was quick to tell them, I don't have to rewrite anything because we're dealing with Exodus uh, 9 and 10 where we're in the middle of the plagues. Now, I am not equating, okay? However, let me remind you, as our subtitle says, God will do whatever is necessary to get your attention. If there's been one constant, one thing that I've heard repeatedly over the past, what, 72 hours, the past seven days, is that people are beginning to give their attention to God. A lot of unknowns, we know that, but there's a lot of knowns as well. There's a lot of things that we do know. We know that God is sovereign, that he is in complete control. As a brother reminded me this morning, God will do everything according to his will. And we have great hope and peace and comfort in that. And that's really my goal this morning, always to preach so that God is glorified but that the body of Christ would understand that we have, at least for this moment in time before us, a small window to show and to share the love of Christ to others with a sense of peace and a sense of calm like never before. Like never before. Things will be different. We understand that. We're not exactly sure how different, what it's going to look like. I just want to remind you, especially those that are listening out there, that even today, we're not, what, passing an offering the way that we normally would. Just understand that there'll be men in the back with baskets, and they'll wrestle you down to the ground before you get out. Mind you as well, not only do we know that God is sovereign, but we live in an age, and we are blessed with the technologies that we have. The people who are not feeling well or people who are struggling with fear can join us right now through technology to be able to what? Join us in worship. Let me remind you that it is important for the church to be faithful to their commitments as well. As Drew alluded to earlier, we can continue to give, although we're home, we can continue to support. There are many people that will be in need in these days and weeks to come. And so we have to be mindful of that. A plague of problems. God will do whatever is necessary to get your attention. We're, we have an opportunity for us to listen, I think, to Scripture in a way that maybe we have not listened to it before. I need God's help. We always do. We all do. And so I'm going to ask that you would bow your heads and pray with me as we dive into this text this morning. Father, we find ourselves quieted 
in spirit, quieted in soul. But we know, Lord, that there is so little, really, that is in our control, and yet nothing is out of control for you. We thank you, Lord, that we come today, we are joined together in the name of Jesus, that we can come directly to you, and we're promised, not a spirit of fear. Father, we're, we're promised that you would be with us, that you would give to us all the strength and the peace and comfort that we need. I think, Lord, how life continues on in so many ways, where there's people, Lord, that have just, even this week, I think of Corey and Holly, who, as Corey's dad passed away this week, I pray, Lord, that you'd minister comfort to that family. I pray, Lord, for, for little ones. I pray, Lord, that we would teach them and that we would speak of you, that we'd be faithful in our prayers, that the dads, that husbands, that single moms who are raising children would understand the importance of shepherding their family, their home well. I pray, Lord, that you would speak this morning, that you would be the focus, that you would be heard. I just pray, Lord, and plead for help, that you'd guard my mind and my mouth. Father, we just pray as we need a word from you, that it would be an appropriate and a fitting word for the season we find ourselves in. Lord, I pray right now specifically for those around us that are, that are just literally, literally trembling in fear, that do not have a hope in you, that we, Lord, as your hands and your feet would demonstrate love, that we would sacrifice for others. That we'd be more concerned about others than we would be concerned about ourselves. And that you'd be pleased with how we react and respond in times like this of uncertainty. Father, we need your help and we plead for it, confident that you are a God who keeps your word. And we thank you for that. We praise you for that. Speak now and may your servants hear. We ask this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Those of you perhaps just visiting, uh, we have been involved in a series in the book of Exodus now for quite some time. It's basically the story of Israel, the nation of Israel that has been held in bondage and slavery in Egypt. We know that Egypt, the country at that particular time, was an all-out rebellion. And yet God was calling a man. His name was Moses, one of the most well-known characters in all of Scripture, to be the deliverer, to be the rescuer. But we know ultimately that God is the one who's in ultimate authority. God has been calling the shots here. And we've been following and tracking this story that when, when Moses goes into Pharaoh to say, let my people go, Pharaoh's response really is similar to the way that many, many people respond from a hardened heart today. We talked about the fact either Pharaoh is very, very modern or mankind today is very ancient. Pharaoh responded with these words, who's the Lord? Really, who's God that I, I should obey his voice? 
That is, what's interesting, that is exactly the same thing that people say and think as they kind of maneuver their way through their life in America today. Why, why should I bother to give attention really to the Lord, to His Word, His will, when I have so many important things to do in life, when I've got my plans to pursue? What's interesting is this, we see the, the, the actions that come as a result of Pharaoh's decisions. I thought about it just like my own actions, the decisions that I make and the decisions that you make sometimes in your stubbornness or foolishness or sinfulness, they don't just affect me. They don't just affect you. They affect those around you. It's like a pebble that's thrown into a pond. That's exactly what's happening right here in the case where the leader of Egypt, literally, he, he digs his heels in against God. And it has brought, it has brought horrible, horrid consequences to the entire country. Uh, throughout chapters, what, 8, 9, 10, 11, there's been this kind of cycle of events, of emphasis, where we see God's power over man, we see God's power over nature, we see God's power over anyone or anything that is elevated to God-like status. We also have seen a repeating theme of these counterfeit confessions. Oh Lord, I'll do whatever you want, but it's not sincere. We also see a repeating emphasis of what? The hardening of one's heart. All of it is, is with an underlying theme that is an answer to the previous question. Who's God that I should obey him anyway? What we see is a theme that runs all the way through the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 6, Exodus chapter 7, Exodus chapter 14, Exodus chapter 29. Here's the theme. God himself is saying, you will know, you will know that I am the Lord. That's really what is the question that's presented before us. Why should I bother to give attention? Why? So that you will know. So that everyone will know who God is. We talk about the fact that in Genesis, they have these terms that they always went down to Egypt um, Genesis chapter 39, Genesis chapter 46. So we've kind of been using what? When you go down, you go down south, and you don't, when you're down south, people aren't walking and talking. Okay, they're walking and they're talking. They're, they're not singing and dancing. They're singing and they're dancing. And so we have seen, by way of these plagues down south, we have seen what? The first plagues where the Niles are turning, the frogs are jumping. The gnats are a-crawling, the flies are a-swarming, the livestock a-dying. This is really like a horrible, hideous scene. You just think, imagine the stink. I got a, like, I got a pretty sensitive nose, personally. It doesn't take much to kind of rattle me. Imagine the stink of the Nile having turned to blood. Piles of frogs. The stench of dead animals, a constant buzzing and biting, an annoyance of flies, 
And that's just last week, and there's still more. Pick it up with me as we continue in our narrative. Exodus chapter 9, the sixth plague, where we have boils a-hurtin'. Pick it up in verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And, and the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. Upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. The sixth plague boils a hurting. You know what's interesting? I found it. We've even seen that this particular week. People can handle a lot. A human being, a human body is designed, is created by a strong God to be strong in many, many ways, mentally and physically. People can handle a lot. From extreme cold, with her testimony of that, to extreme hot, to times of war, to times of famine, to times of flood, both man and woman can handle intense pressure, especially when it's on the outside. But something happens when that pressure turns and we actually begin to feel it in our own bodies. It actually becomes another story. Frogs and flies, no doubt, okay? Horrible. But even with the frogs and the flies, your body, you still feel okay. What's happening here is what? When physical pain, when extreme pain enters, this is when things begin to actually break down. So, some of you, even here today, can understand what your bodies have suffered extreme pain. You can identify with that. What we have here is a sovereign God who is revealing his sovereignty in a particular time with, 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 help me here, boils. Now, notice the increased intensity to all of these plagues. They're getting worse and worse and worse and worse. According to the Mayo Clinic, a boil is described as defined as this. A painful, pus-filled bump in abscess that forms under your skin when bacteria infect and inflame one or more of the hair follicles. 
And then there's what is referred to as a carbuncle, which is a cluster of boils that form a connected area of infection under the skin. And we're already beginning to like, oh, pus-filled abscess. We've heard for some reason, covered with boils, covered with, doesn't that, don't, don't we remember a story somewhere of where, where God actually gave permission to the enemy to test someone? Remember that story of the Old Testament? His name was not Job. His name was Job. He was a faithful man, so faithful that God said, yeah, you can test my boy Job. And it is described like this in Job chapter 2. It says that he was struck with loathsome sores. That's that's an appropriate word, loathsome sores. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. So much so that it says that he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. His wife came to him and said, just curse God and die. Just get it over with. His friends came, listen to this. His three friends came to show sympathy and comfort him. It says, but when they saw him, when they saw Job from a distance, they did not recognize him. And and listen to this. No one spoke a word to him, for they saw that he was suffering very great. But what a reminder of the ministry of presence that God called, I believe, the church of Jesus Christ to. Where there are what? In moments of unprecedented times, that there is a calling for us, I believe, to just come as a friend, to sit maybe just in silence alongside of someone who is struggling. So that picture of one covered um, with boils, that is, think of this, the entire nation of Egypt, every single person was experiencing this. Why? Like, this seems awful cruel, God. Why? What's the underlying theme? You know this. You're good students. So you will know that I am God. The importance of knowing God. We have a seventh plague. If you continue on with me in verse 22, Exodus chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire came down to the earth and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Listen to verse 26. Only in the land of Goshen, 
where the people of Israel were, there was no hell. Our seventh plague is what I call pretty obvious hell, a fallen. Can't do a lot with that. Well, on sabbatical this past fall, one of the first places Wendy and I went to visit, it makes sense, was to see our grandkids. Any grandparents out there, you just know there's something like, that is a lot cooler than your own kids. So we went to see our grandkids connect with family who live in the very heartland of America, in Kansas, only the second time I'd ever been in Kansas before, and it's flat, totally different than Pennsylvania. Um, like, it's hard to describe how flat, really flat. But yet there is, there is beautiful, beautiful sunsets, and scenery. And we were there, it was just before harvest, just before corn and, and milo were to be harvested. And as we were driving, we noticed that there were, there were these milo fields and corn fields where I'm like, like something happened here. Like I've never seen anything where everything was just completely demolished. It was crushed. It was in pieces. And I asked our son, oh, Ben, like what? Like, what happened there? Is that like a farmer that didn't get past like a certain level? He didn't know how to do the corn thing? What happened here? He said one word. Hail. I'm like, it, it destroyed? I mean, you're talking of tens of thousands of acres. He said, Dad, yeah, it's not like the hail that you're used to in Pennsylvania. He said, this is golf ball size hail that falls and it will destroy it will flatten everything such was the case what's here in egypt matter of fact the seventh plague describes quote the worst hailstorm ever in the history of this particular country and yet what's interesting in the last verse it explains that there's a pocket of people in the land of goshen the israelites who are completely safe Philip Reichen, in his book, Exodus, says this, and I quote, <clears throat> Even when God was judging Pharaoh for his sins, God had a plan for Egypt's salvation. Think of what's going on here. The, the Egyptians, where everything is crushed and devastated, are looking into Goshen, and they're like, so that is your God that's protecting you, that's saving you. That's what salvation looks like. I think God is purposely protecting the Israelites from his fury here as a perfect picture of the plan of salvation that is promised to anyone who trusts him. Not that it's always going to be like that. Not that it's always going to be easy for those that are following God, following Jesus. But even in the midst of those hailstorms, he will protect us we know for all of eternity. The storm was so bad, again, it brings words of repentance from Pharaoh. And if you listen to these words, you're like, man, finally this guy's starting to get it. Later it says down in verse 27, this time, this is Pharaoh speaking here, Mr. Hardheart. This time I have sinned. The Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord, 
I am who I am. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Finally, like this guy has come to the end of himself. Finally, he's beginning to get it. But we know, we know this. Mouthing off religious words are not sufficient for salvation. Let me say that again. There's words coming out of Pharaoh's mouth that you and I would hear and be like, whoo, praise God, he must be a believer. No, no, no. Just mouthing religious words. I'm a sinner. God, you're right. We're wrong. That's not sufficient. Why? Because words alone are not going to save you. We know when the hail stopped, he quickly retracted his repentance. As soon as things go smooth, all of a sudden we forget the words that were spoken. Dangerous, 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 dangerous thing. Remember what it says in Galatians chapter 6, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. He continues on. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. God wants to show Pharaoh. God wants to show all the Egyptians. God wants to show you and I this morning how to reap eternal life. By being sincere, not just in your words, but in your actions to show what repentance looks like. To show what obedience, full obedience, looks like. And those who refuse to trust, those who refuse to trust, those who dig their heels in like Pharaoh does before us. Think of the pain. And it's not just pain that he is suffering. It's pain that all of those around him are suffering. Why? Why? So you will know that I am God. The eighth plague, we're down in chapter 10 at this point. We know that in Exodus chapter 1, excuse me, Exodus chapter 10, verse 1 through 11, there's this whole charade. It's this, this false, feigned changing of his mind or what appears to be a softening of his heart. But Pharaoh is not even near. He's not even near sincere. We pick up, what, the eighth plague in Exodus chapter 10, verse 13. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as has never been before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate all of the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. The eighth plague, we have locusts are eaten. Locusts are eaten. How, how, how destructive, 
how, how devastating is this for us? You know, actually, it, this is kind of hard, I think, for us to understand. What it's interesting is just one month ago, February the 14th, just one month ago, there's a, a problem that is actually creeping around the world, and it's not COVID-19. I don't know if people are aware of that or not, but on February the 14th, 2020, the BBC reported, listen to this, the East African region could be on the verge of a food crisis if huge swarms of locusts devouring crops and pasture are not brought under control. A top UN official has told the BBC a massive, massive food assistance may be required. Dominique Bergeron, Director of Emergencies for the UN's Food Agricultural Organization, FAO, said this, I quote, Ethiopia, Somalia, Kenya, Tanzania, and Uganda are all affected. Efforts to control the infestation has so far not been effective. Aerial spraying of pesticides in the most effect, are the most effective way of fighting the swarms, but countries in that region do not have the right resources. There are fears that the locusts already in the hundreds of billions will multiply further. Listen to this. The FAO says the insects are breeding so fast that numbers could grow 500 times by June. Bergeron states, the situation will deteriorate and you will need to provide massive food assistance for a humanitarian situation that may be out of control. God will do whatever is necessary. This is not a description of something that's happening in Exodus chapter 10 alone. A stalk of corn, think about this, hail has fallen as a result of the seventh plague. Hell has fallen and has crushed the corn to the ground. Hard to harvest, but in a sense, it's still there. And actually, it's still edible. It can still be eaten. Unless what? Unless very, very quickly, locusts come and eat it first. Which is exactly what happened. So, so let's kind of set the scene here. Let's go all the way back on top of the absolute mockery, the humiliation of what the river gods and their frog gods and their flog, their, their, their fly gods. They're still itching from the billions of gnats that had bit them all over. The entire place is reeking from the stench of rotting corpses of cows and sheep and goats that are everywhere. Your body is now what? Is, is, is racked with pain as a result of boils. Your, co- your crops have been crushed to the ground as a result of the hail. And now what happens? The last remaining fragments of green, the last remaining cobs of corn, Before you get to the field, in pain to pick them, the locust comes and eats it first. So now your stomach pangs are so severe, your stomach aches and hurts because you're starving to death. Why? 
So you will know that I am God. What does it take, really, for God to get your attention? What, 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 what does it take? Are you someone that seems to just like listen quickly, learn the first time? Not really. Do, do, you, do you oftentimes find yourself obeying completely, like right away? Actually not. Or can you kind of like Pharaoh be a little stubborn? If someone were to speak of you and describe you, would they describe you as one who has a hard heart or one that is soft? God promises that he will remove from us a heart of stone and place in us what? A soft heart of flesh. You ever find yourself saying something like this? Oh God, please, just, just get me out of this jam. Just help me out. Please heal my body, help my marriage. Hear my cry. And I'll serve you forever. And I and I will I will love the unlovable. I'll give up my hand sanitizer for anyone. I'll do it. Just get me out of this jam. I'll give to it hurts. Before sovereign God Almighty, my job. My job is to warn you. Do not, do not be like Pharaoh. Do not ever, even in moments and seasons that we have before us at this very moment, do not make false confessions. Do not feign repentance and then attempt to or try to go on living however you want before a holy, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God. Do not do that. Exodus chapter 10, we pick it up in verse 21. The ninth plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. A darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. Listen to this. This is hard to understand. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. I really struggled with this one. Darkness, uh, darken? Like, I came up with darkness of blinding. I, I had to work on that one. The ninth plague, darkness of blinding. Have you ever been in a situation, remember being what, with the kids when they were little, and, and Wendy, we were out west, and we were in a, a gold mine shaft, and like sent us like really far down. It was really creepy, tell you the truth. Kids are like, that's so cool, Dad. You want to do it again? I'm like, no, that was creepy. And as you're down in that, in that gold mine shaft, the guy's like, hey, I got an idea. Let's turn the lights off. And he turned the lights off. And that's the first time I would say that it's darkness that you could feel. 
in some of our small group discussions, home group discussions, you will understand the importance of gathering together in homes in the very near future. Some of the home group discussion questions for this week are, which plague do you think you'd have the hardest time with? Which, which plague would, would terrify you the most? I, I'm I think the boil thing, to me, I, just, I think it just crosses. It's interesting. Prob I've asked that question a lot of people, to a lot of people this week, and the ninth one is what rattles people the most. You ever have darkness? Nothing says judgment. Nothing says judgment like darkness. Now, it's hard. Have you ever lost? Have you had power go out in your house before? I'm not talk like flickering um, or a few minutes or even a few hours. When it like really goes out, all the power, your entire community is out. It's really interesting. It, for the first moment, let's grab some candles. And, and you, can, you, you can always find like a lighter when you need to light the barbecue, but you can never find, never find a lighter when you need to light a candle and the power's out. And you, you sit there for a few moments and you realize, wow, I can't watch t TV. There's no sports to watch anyway. You, you like, you're like, I'm going to be super spiritual, so by candlelight... I'm going to read. I'm going to read the Bible. And that's cool, but you and I know we are so spoiled and soft. You can't read by candlelight very long. It just kills like your eyes. I have such a great respect for the scholars and for the scribes who for thousands of years before Thomas Edison did that. They must have had horrible eyesight. But they did that. And if, if the power stays out, you know, you, you got your phone because everything rises and falls. But you can only keep your phone for so long because that little battery gets smaller and smaller. And then when you don't have power, you can't charge your phone. And you're kind of left with that. There's no computer. There's no internet. There's no connection. There's no communication. And what happens, if you've been in a setting where the power goes out for a long period of time, you end up with lots of time where you find yourself just sitting. You just sit. And it's quiet. And when you sit for long periods of time, and it's quiet, what happens? You think. You think. And you spend a lot of time just sitting and quiet thinking. You know, it's not always a bad thing. It's not always a bad thing just to sit in quietness and think. And you quickly realize how little it actually takes to change or to alter your life, right? Just, just light. We don't have light. And now you realize it's just, it's just like with the absence of light, how much it actually affects your life. Think of what's going on around us right now. We have to speak of it. Three, four weeks ago, maybe, maybe five weeks ago, we were introduced to this COVID-19. Like, what exactly is that? We're not even quite sure. This is a brand new term for us. And we're, we're really not quite sure 
what is going on. We know at this particular point, in light of the, the population of the entire world, it still seems to be at some level, at some level, relatively low by way of numbers. It's not devastating numbers in light of billions of people. But we also are aware that what? There's just so much that we don't know. And for those of you who what? We have, we have all the information we, we can find out. Any question, we can find the answer. Just ask it and it gives us the answer. And what's happening is that no one really knows. There is no vaccine. There is no cure. The only thing that we know for certain is that we have no idea what is going to be next. And, and people around us are literally beginning to shake. Literally in fear. We have words that have not been used in our lifetime. Pandemic. Not epidemic, pandemic, global. Like those are words that we don't really hear. The words like quarantine, like what is that? We don't do that. You don't tell America, you don't tell Americans they can't do certain things. I did hear this morning that probably after this quarantine there's going to be a a baby boom in the next nine months. And in 2033, there's going to be the rise of the quarantines. So that on dad jokes. Words that we're not familiar with hearing. I saw a picture of a community. I think it was in Italy. Where it's quickly, quickly spiraling out of control. And there's a picture of a playground that's locked. And there was a picture of a swing, and, and there was no one on this swing. And, and you could just hear almost, just by looking at the picture, you can almost hear kind of squeaking. No one's on. Like a heart. It's a scene out of a horror movie. And you have asked the same question that I have the last couple of days. What is going on? Travel bans? You don't tell Americans they can't travel somewhere. And we've been instructed, is travel ban Stocks? We see how fragile, and, and that begins to plummet, and the economy, and that, that is connected. We have kids that for the next two weeks, right here in our own community, in our state, across the country, they will be sitting home for the next two weeks, at least the next two weeks. Churches, will they be able to meet? We're not really quite sure of. Colleges shut down, universities shut down. There are no concerts, there are no festivals. The NBA has been shut down. The NHL has been shut down. Major League Baseball has been shut down. Spring training players just like, do I continue to throw the ball or not? They were to play a golf tournament, the players' golf tournament, this weekend. They were going to play it without fans. You have like a couple dozen people on hundreds and hundreds of acres. And they're like, no, we're going to shut that down too. Have you asked this question, like, what exactly is going on here? March madness? Like, that doesn't go away in our world. It's March. And for some reason... It has been replaced 
with another type of madness. You can't buy hand sanitizer. We tried yesterday. A run on toilet paper, which we don't really fully even understand why. We went to four stores yesterday before we found toilet paper because, in all honesty, we had completely run out. Like, just plain, we, we, it wasn't like we had like something stashed. We had just completely run out. We went from store to store to store to store. And, and I, I went, there was one, the shelves were empty, and there's like two packages up there, and there's a little old lady kind of like just staring at them. And I, I walked up, and I'm like, so do you, do you, you thinking about this? Or? She's like, no, you go ahead. And I'm like, I'm not really sure why other people are like hoarding this up, but I know why we need some. All of this, why? Why? Exodus? Or the world today? There's very little difference. You will know. You will know that I am the Lord. I have sought to glean as much wisdom. I have spent great time in prayer, as I'm sure that you have. That we understand our role and responsibility right now. A gentleman by the name of Axis Ballo. He's from Budapest, Hungary. He actually is pastoring in Australia. The land down under. There isn't a country that is exempt from this. And Axis wrote this by way of a reminder for us as a church this week, he wrote. And I quote, Whatever happens, dear Christian, know this. And this morning I want you to know this. God has raised us up for such a time as this. It is no accident that you are here. This is our time to think not about ourselves, but about our neighbors, many of whom are scared. And it will only grow worse as the virus spreads. He continues on, this is our time. He's referring to the local church. This is our time to hold out the word of life to those around us and to give hope to those who are afraid. And they're wondering what's going to happen. This today, this moment, and I do not want to sensationalize anything. I want to be a realist. But this is our time to trust God no matter what the future brings. For unlike our secular neighbors, we know where our hope lies. We know where our security lies. We know where our future lies. So let's not be afraid. Let's not give way to panic. Instead, let's love and serve those around us who are filled with fear. I, I could not add to that. I could not say it any better by way of the moment that we have been given, the moment that is before us right now. And I encourage you and I implore you I know at some level in our flesh we can very easily give way to fear 
And if it means to gather together in small groups and in homes, to pray and encourage, to sing, then, then, then do that, dear brothers and sisters. Check up on your neighbors. Make sure that they're doing okay. Make sure if they need anything, anything. We want to be the best citizens, the best neighbors we can possibly be. My son and I were talking, Seth, and things in Israel have got progressively worse. And he said, Dad, you realize, he goes, it was, a, it was in 1918, it was about 100 years, the Spanish flu literally took millions of lives. He said, Dad, if, if you look at it, about every 100 years, there's, there's always been something that has erupted. And we talked about the fact it was about 100 years ago that was the last time that there was great sweeping revival across our country as well. And there is great hope even in the midst of us sitting in darkness and thinking. In 1886, a man by the name of Daniel B. Towner was the music conductor during one of Dwight L. Moody's renowned revivals in Brockton, Massachusetts. Towner shares this story. He says, one night a, a young man stood up to give a testimony at the meeting and he said this, and I quote, the young man said, I'm, I'm not quite sure what to do, but I'm just going to trust and I'm just going to obey. Towner jotted down that sentence and he sent it to a good friend of his, Pastor J.H. Samus, a Presbyterian minister who wrote the lyrics of the hymn that we know quite well. When we walk with the Lord, in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still. And with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Listen to this. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief or a loss, not a frown or a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. What, what truth, what a, what a needed reminder for the children of Israel in the book of Exodus. And what a necessary reminder for you and I today. That's going to come and close us with the others in just a moment. I, I do want to just remind you, um, the church has a responsibility to care for one another. So I, I want you to know that we don't have to race out. There's no Sunday school. We, we're not serving coffee. I hope you understand why. We can't pass an offering plate. It's different. But if you want to remain here and pray together, um, all of the elders, pastors that are here, their wives, um, 
we would love to meet with you and pray with you. If you have any questions, we'll do the very, very best that we can with the information that we have right now to answer your questions. But I would encourage you, you are, gonna, you, you are going to um, have to pay close attention and watch your email by way of announcements. And everything's just really going day by day. But we know that we have great hope to trust and obey. Before you exit as well, make sure that you take advantage of the offering baskets that will be in the back. And if you have questions about the online giving, want to do that as well. But far more importantly than that, to spend time praying for one another, encouraging one another, and being reminded that God in his sovereignty actually does everything according to his will. And we rejoice in that. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we do commit ourselves into your care. We thank you so much for this body of faithful, faithful believers that have gathered together this morning. We pray as well, Lord, for those that are not able to be here, join us, but are joining us online. We thank you for the blessings of technology and the age and time that we live in. We thank you, Lord, that we're able to continue to support the local church, support one another. I would pray, Lord, that, that we would all be reminded that you've set us apart as a local church. You've called us according to your purpose for this time. And I would pray, Lord, that we would be reminded that, as we've seen in Scripture, you will do whatever is necessary to get our attention. May we, in full sincerity, not feigned repentance, full sincerity, May we confess that you are Lord of all, over all. We pray, Lord, for those that do not have hope in you, that we would offer and show them the way of Jesus, that we would love our neighbors. Father, help us to be faithful and fervent in our prayer. We do ask for wisdom, particularly for our nation's leaders, our, our state leaders, and our community leaders. I pray, Lord, inevitably over these next weeks that as people sit and think that they would be reminded that you do everything according to your will and that you give us the strength to be faithful, to be obedient, to trust and obey. Thank you for the amazing hope that exists and abides only in Jesus. We ask this now in his name. Amen.